Can you hear? Can yes. you hear in the background? Vaguely, but um, I, yeah, I, we've I heard worse. Really... You know, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, it, it'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, it fine. We don't care about it. We're not That's a major league yeah, podcast. What am I talking? What am I talking about? All right. It's Alex. <laughs> Episode 163 of You From 202, a uh, surprisingly busy episode, in my opinion, as uh, we play two games and uh, we have a bit of smoke brewing in the New York man- or New York Red Bulls manager situation. Uh, not quite yet white smoke coming out of the cathedral of Red Bull Arena, but maybe slowly graying smoke. Uh, we'll see, but it's... Brit Peaches, Sam and Cork, uh, in this last week of September. How are you guys doing? Are you are you bracing for seasonal depression successfully? I mean, I think the summer barely um, fixed that really for me. We, we've, we've, we've been practicing for a few months, so I think we're okay. Yeah, exactly. That's a great um, point. It's tolerance. not seasonal depression yeah. if it's perennial. I've been training for this, yeah, for months. Yeah. Uh, Britt, I was going to say that I prefer my Red Bulls uh, grass-fed, not grain-fed. Grain, oh, why is that? Uh, I don't, I was Did just I say something about grain-fed Red Bulls? No, you said something about like grain-smoked, but I just... Um, oh, I was talking about the Pope, the new Red Bulls Pope. Yeah, I know. I was just trying to make a, a bad, kind of like not-related joke. Perfect. Anyway, we can move on. We're off to, yeah, we're off to a fiery start here. Um, so let's... Uh, Talk about these two games. I mean, because I think these the, we're trying to keep it short this week without going totally crazy. So we got the Cincinnati game and the Miami game with two different lineups, two different, very different results. Um, but I think maybe just as a way of orienting ourselves after being stuck in the zone for so long, maybe it could be good just to think about how we want to talk about these games. Because way back when, when we started this podcast, it was like, the Red Bulls were on the march every week. We were top of the league. We were like reading out the scoreboard or like the standings every week. Although you guys eventually let me know that that was not necessary. But point is we were going through like each goal and everything. And that became obviously less necessary as we entered the zone, but now we're out of it. And it strikes me that maybe it'd be good to think about how we want to talk about these games. And at least for now, when we've got this interim period and maybe even the beginning period of the new manager i think the way that i'm approaching analyzing games right now is like picking certain players in the field or certain spots in the field or certain lineups and trying to see how they are um performing by different things we've identified because i think as we've talked a lot this season you know the standings even with armis not even if let's say armis never existed let's say we follow another team with covid cup and covid schedule like it just doesn't make sense to be watching the table this year right so for this week i think that like one way to make sense of the cincinnati game is seeing and the miami game after it is like seeing who started in midfield and who combined well and who's starting up top so even though the cincinnati game is a 1-0 loss that's 0-0 for 99 percent of it to me it's an opportunity to look at drew yearwood and kaku playing together and looking at how we were successful or not successful 
in trying to go forward and um, the way in which we seemed uh, vulnerable to pressure across the field. Because to me, this game really is more of a zero zero because we give up the Olympico like at the last minute to Harris Madunian. And so in my opinion, this game is mostly about our inability to really score. Um, despite having Kaku, Gasseris, and Yearwood on the pitch. Uh, what do you guys make of that? Do, do, you, do you agree that um, we, were, we were struggling mostly to create pressure here, or do you think that's too much for this bit-of-nothing game? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Like, I think the, the big thing about that game is that we weren't able to put the ball in the net. And, um, I mean, I, I will talk about players, I'm assuming, at some point. But, you know, I think there is certainly... Go ahead and talk about been, it now if you want. Okay, fine. Danny Royer starting, I feel like really kind of, um, like, in, in terms of the runs that he makes and, like, the space that he creates, it just makes us a little bit less dynamic. And I think we see the big difference in that once we go against a Miami team, which, you know, may not be as good. And there might have been different circumstances in which we've scored through that. But... Um, I mean, like that, that's, that's my big thing is just like the, the way that we set up, um, or like the way that those runs are made are obviously very different. Um, like even without Kako on the field, we're able to, to make stretch out the field in a different way, I think. Um, and like, I, I wouldn't even think about FC Cincinnati and Miami being, um, similar in terms of, I guess, like squad quality and, um, maybe not entirely coaching, but you know, just like, I think they're they're comparable teams to that aspect. Um, obviously, like they kind of gave up. So the, running up the score is one thing, but you know, um, Miami, get, Miami, yeah, yeah. But like getting on the scoreboard at all um, came from from like a bit more dynamic play. Obviously, they're like more one two one twos happening. Um, I think it's just like the dynamic interplay happens a little faster um, with with personnel, and I think we're at, like able to talk about personnel for once you know yeah so Royer's is a good point in addition to the midfield Royer starts in the Cincinnati game and does not start in the Miami game um but I guess my question after that is how much of that is Royer himself and how much that might be also the shape that they're playing in because the Cincinnati game was 3-5-2 um and Miami sees a bit more of a return to uh 4-2-2-2 and some other guys in because I I think that with Royer, I mean, Peaches, you're well documented for your um, <laughs> skepticism of Royer, uh, even Pre before Arma, the started. Pre-Arma skepticism yeah. of Royer. I mean, yes. I, you know, I, I just think that maybe I, 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 there's a place for it, but I don't know if I would lead talking about Royer. To me, I think that in Cincinnati, we still see um, Kaku and Yearwood being able to play much more vertically and I think Yearwood in particular is able to knock these long, uh, nice vertical one-time and diagonal passes that we haven't mm -hmm. seen in a long time at Red Bull Arena. Um, and the final product isn't quite there. Um, but for me, I think it was still a, a productive-looking 90 minutes in terms of getting guys on the field together and seeing how they might play to, with each other. I think it seemed a little bit more productive for Drew and Kaku to spend 60 minutes together. Caceres, I think, um, I didn't get as much of watching him play against Cincinnati. But uh, I guess, yeah, what do, you, what do you guys think about Peach's Royer provocation, but also Drew and Kaku playing together against Cincinnati? 
Yeah, I think Royer is uh, is a thing where um, as as much, and I'm I'm not a huge Royer fan myself. I mean, uh, you know, I, I he definitely he has his qualities in his production, but um, you know, uh, for for that exactly reason I just laid out that that I, he's he's not a guy who I think is is going to be benched at this point. I don't think the team gains a lot from you know, keeping, keeping him on the bench necessarily, unless you're just going absolutely all in on the rest of this year, just being preseason for 2021 and just playing a bunch of, of, of younger guys. I think, I think you, I think there's, there's more that you kind of stir up and then, and, and maybe cause trouble with by you know making a thing out of, out of benching Royer. And that's even if we assume the coaching staff agrees with us that he's that big of a problem, which, you know, might not be the case. So, um, th- that's yeah, that to your is, point though, like, yeah. isn't, isn't that like, what do we have to gain from keeping watching Royer play at this point? He's a known quantity, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, he's scored in a, in a, in a couple you know, I mean, he scored in the game. Uh, did, did he score against Miami? Not he scored, minute. But that was like the, the laziest, yeah, yeah. like defending. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's been like, every, everybody's been better. I mean, to go to kind of do the mirror version of a point that we made a lot um, when we were in the zone that, that, you know, it, it wasn't just one or two guys who looked worse, like literally everybody in the team, um, everybody in the team was on bad form for about a year yep. and a half. Um, now in the last few weeks, and again, this is maybe just, this is just seeing what us seeing what we want to see and us validating ourselves. But I think that everybody, or, you know, a lot of people in the team look a lot livelier and a lot more comfortable and a lot more confident and able to do their thing. And Royer's a part of that. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's scored. He, in, in one of the games recently, I don't know if it was Cincinnati or, or the draw that we've had, but, uh, that, that he, he was actually creating better than i've seen him mm-hmm. do in, in a long time or if ever um you know doing some flicks and and uh you know quick one touch passes because it seemed like he knew where guys were it seemed like it was an intuitive system again um for yeah. the first time in a while and and you know i i just generally think you know i don't think i don't think we gain anything from i don't think there's a reason to make a scapegoat out of anybody right now and, yeah. and even if you do you know i don't i don't see royer as being necessarily that guy even with um the problems we have with him maybe you know, on a long-term basis um, well you know my well-documented biases about this that's right you do uh yes. Yeah, I think I think the as we said a couple of weeks ago, the problem with Royer was asking him to be the main guy, and and everyone uh, seemingly having feeling an obligation to shovel a ball to him. But I mean, I think it's also to your point, Quirk, and just everyone looking brighter. Like you know, Royer knocks the piss out of that ball again in the goal against Miami. Like that's one of the, like the the, <laughs> the crispest little curlers I've seen get hit yeah. in a long time. You know, like and you know that's another thing where like doesn't necessarily you know mean like it's not necessarily the coach doing it well or whatever you know it's not the the formation doesn't make a guy hit a ball uh, that much better per se you know but it it i agree that like he's among many of the guys who look brighter right now and i think his goal against dc too to to uh, kind of ice that game and go tune up was also a good example of that's the goal that I'm thinking of. And that's yeah. the game that I'm thinking of where he was creating better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think like against Cincinnati, back. he was also, his, his flicks were finding guys um, too, yep. you know, and, and it was a better example. It was kind of uh, to your point the other week, Gork and the point in the 
um, three five two article on Symmetra as well. You know, I think that that does allow the guys to just be closer to each other and have a little bit more awareness that suits him better and mirrors twenty seventeen for him, uh, for Royer in particular. Um, and I think that I guess my long winded intro to the Cincinnati game is is a way of saying that like even though we didn't score any goals, um, that there were still productive things that came out of this. And I want to disclaim that like you know we still lost the game. But if you've been listening to the podcast, you kind of know that we're sort of treating this interim coach period and weird COVID season as, as a sort of long preseason for like what this new project and rebuild is going to be and not necessarily rebuild and like purging the squad and bringing in new guys, but like rebuild and like tactical plan. Um, so I think on that front, uh, you do see some some good things in terms of guys playing where they uh their their instincts and professional experience guides them a little bit better and um i think uh that the 60 minutes that drew and kaku have together were good i am i'll I admit that i'm i'm a little annoyed of with uh davis and even rizza being hurt now i mean obviously i don't i want rizza to be healthy as a person but you know uh i'm like it bums me out to see velo still kind of playing at the eight so much because i feel like it's not a position he'll eventually be playing anyway. So, and I felt like against Cincinnati when Velo comes on, it's sort of like, okay, well, I know Drew's not match fit yet, but I sort of feel like I'm now watching a team that's never going to play again, like with, with Velo mm. in that position, even though he's trying his best. But um, it was, it was, it was some um, decent looks at sometimes. And I'll say white started in this game as well against Cincinnati and white kind mm-hmm. of surprised me in, in the way he was kind of playing in a lot of different ways that I hadn't seen before. He, his back wasn't to goal too much so much. And he was uh, dribbling way more than I'm used to seeing him play. And it wasn't necessarily bad, uh, but um, it was not what I expected from him per se. Um, and yeah. I specifically remember um, like one, I was pleasantly surprised by one dribble where Brian kind of got out of a challenge and then opened up space after that um, and got going. I mean, like, I, I just want to address one thing about, about Royer because, you know, I can't let this go. Um, but like everything that he's become better at, I think, is also just kind of like one of these opportunities for us. And I think we see this in the Miami game of, of someone like Omir um, who's doing that stuff even better. You know, and I think we're kind of having an opportunity mm-hmm. cost there, not like playing um, that if we are treating this as like a big preseason. Um, right. I mean, like we say Royer's old, though, but he's still like he's 30 or 31. You know, I think 30, that like, yeah, yeah, he's 30. There's guys on the, like Riza, for instance. You know, I, I don't think I did just say I wish he were back here so he could play midfield a little bit more instead of Velo. But like, I, that's a guy who I think like probably isn't going to be back um but like if and don't see the point in giving him a ton of minutes this year but Royer I mean if Royer's played in his right role and right position he's still scoring goals for us and he'll still be he'll only be 31 next year and and I don't think there's any reason to to shelf him um any more than anyone else I mean should we give him 90 minutes every single week and never rotate anyone else and no but I, I don't think we need to go the other way either you know but he could also be. That, he could also be still be maybe be moved on for a trade in MLS. A transfer to Europe is probably unlikely at yeah. this yeah, point. But that, um, but benching him would affect that too. So yeah, I, I feel like it's very. It'd be very Red Bull, right? To like to to sell him sooner rather than later. Um, so <laughs> we've done that with other players, you know, of of that age, even in those positions. 
to a lesser extent, but, but, you know, we could list a few players like that. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I think that if we're going to go with the idea that like, this is a, a rebuilding phase of a larger project, um, you know, and next year we look at our kind of squad, I don't know if, uh, you know, to me, I think it'd be very Red Bull to trade him. Uh, I'm surprised that there hasn't been that inclination just yet. Uh, but he's, he's scoring goals. He's good. He, he gets he gets results. I mean, you know, Peaches, you can't fault him there. Uh, but I don't know. I am I'm surprised. I mean, these that. aren't like like important moments, though. I mean, it's usually I guess was was the DC won the game winning goal? Was, yeah, it was nice like the game. Goal. Yeah, yeah, but like these are all coming in like at the end of games, you know, which I'm fine with. Like if he gets a bunch of garbage time goals to build trade value and we can see him off, that's fine. But, you know, I would like to see Omir start or like Ben Mines get more minutes, you know, and yeah. I feel like that it, there is a um, thing we're losing out on by continuing to treat Royer as a starter because I think I see a lot more potential in those players in terms of both link-up play um, and build-up as well as, you know, potential finishing as we see from Ben Mines. Later. Yeah, well, okay, so I guess I'm, I'm sensing us, we're kind of bleeding into Miami now too because I think... Um, it's mostly because I don't want to talk about Cincinnati. Well, no, yeah, I mean, I know, but I think it's a natural segue to where, I, to your point, Peaches, about this, I think that the lineup that plays against Miami uh, feels like a good example of it feels like we are able to rotate these guys now um, and more meaningfully. I mean, one of the complaints about the Armas era was that the, the squad rotations felt arbitrary and, and um, you know, only, only most superficially tied to results. Like did the team win or not? Let's switch a couple guys. It didn't actually correlate to role performance or, or anything like that. He didn't Miami. have an idea of what the depth chart was. He didn't have an idea that yeah. it was just like the A team with a couple of guys removed. It was just a complete shuffle and mix every single week. Yeah. yeah. But against, against Miami, we see a different shape come out, 4 2 2 2 instead of, uh, you know, 3 5 2. Um, and uh, we see uh, Omir play. We see Jorgensen play again. We see Stroud play. Um, but we're playing in a way uh, where it seems like these guys um, are able to execute how they understand their own games. And they, they know where the other players are. And I feel like we've from these two games alone, we've already learned a lot more about the different roles and uh, the, the different things these guys can do um, with each other than the season and a half you know, with, with Armis. Um, and I think that like Royer's able to come on and get a nice goal here. Uh, but we also see interesting a good shift from Jorgensen we see a good shift from Omir we see um you know Velo come on uh, a little bit and and play kind of more of an eight uh position that I I don't think like I think it's less of a problem now I guess is what I mean with Royer like I I don't it seems demonstrated to me that like it's not as zero sum anymore the Carnell or Thelwell or whoever seems capable and interested in rotating him out, but not freezing him out. And I, I, I guess I, I get what you, I've said it before and I get what you guys mean about like selling him on or anything, but I, I do think that if Roy was going to get sold on, it would have happened the summer or two ago when we renewed his contract. And right. they said that they did have some offers. Um, I, you know, we've dumped, we've dumped on Royer kind of as like a symbol of like what was being done wrong, but I have no, no problem at all with Royer staying in and being played correctly and situated correctly in the squad for all of next year too. You know, he's still only be 31. 
Um, so I, and, and based on the way that these things are rotated, I don't think it will be, I don't think his playing will be, um, exclusive anymore to seeing other guys play, but I don't know. Um, we do see, uh, guys like Jorgensen play again, though, against Miami, which I thought was, uh, interesting. Cause I think it was, it was a, um, it, it felt like building on the previous game that the previous game, I mean, who did Jorgensen play against before? Was it, wasn't Philly. It would have been DC, right? Yeah. Um, and he, he did okay. Not super noticeable, but I believe my comment in the episode after that was, yeah, just give him more minutes. Why not? This felt like a really good building on that where mm-hmm. he almost scores a goal, uh, early in the game. He's making consistently good runs. I have to say in terms of just growing into being an athlete, he looks much, much more normal to me than he has previously. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't look so quite as skinny. Um, but I, th- I think uh, Jorgensen has like a really solid uh, night against Miami here, uh, you know, goal or no goal that made me think about him as like a, a real possibility uh, probably the most ever since he, he played that one game against San Jose and, uh, last year, uh, I don't know. Is is that is that too rosy off of this little performance from Jorgensen? I mean, it's it's he's definitely had you know as uh, I, it hasn't been a well maybe it has. I mean, it's it's been about as bad of a first you know couple of years as you could hope if you know you're a two million dollar transfer to MLS. You know, I mean, he was I mean he was young, but he was still only like eighteen or eight. You know, eighteen you should be. At this level, if you're a two million dollar player, you should be pretty much ready to do pro minutes. And he was definitely not last year. And uh, um, you know, it you know the little bit that he got in the early parts of this season were not super flashy too. But yeah, like you said, the last couple games have been maybe a corner being turned. And I think about um, uh, I think it was B Man who who did a post a while back when somebody was, you know, saying Jorgensen was a bust or whatnot. Um, and I think he used uh, Madotas from Houston's uh, stat line where he was a guy who was signed around the same age and was kind of dormant for two, maybe even three years. And now he's, you know, a potential European transfer or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, especially I think with the striker position, guys need, to fill out physically like you were just saying and get a sense of how to kind of throw their weight around in the box and learn how to use their body and you know contort their body to score goals um in in a way that you know comes later on maybe than other positions um yeah and uh you know that's that's a development that's my layman's you know development factor thing on on jorgensen as a striker but uh um i was gonna say i didn't realize we were talking about ben mines here well, I was gonna say Ben Mines. I was I was just about to jump to uh, Ben Mines and Jared Stroud as other guys who um, stood out in these games, especially the rotation game against Miami, which was obviously a huge success on all fronts, um, but particularly them um, showing you know a lot of a lot of energy, just a lot of you know it, maybe maybe it was the fact that it was a midweek game. Um, but you know, and that Miami is, you know, still kind of feeling their way, feeling themselves out as a team. But, um, 
you know, we were still the road team. We were still traveling and all that. And, uh, you know, they looked, you know, lively, obviously Ben mine's got the goal, but he's, he's just a lot cleaner. He looks talk about, you know, physique. He looks like he's, you know, been, been eating mm-hmm. some steak and, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, Stroud had the moment, you know, at, you know, that led up to, um, the one goal where he, you know, pressed their fullback in the corner. And that was a very, you know, kind of like, you know, sort of reputation making moment there where he, mm-hmm. you know, ran up on him and literally just, you know, ganked the ball off him and set it up for a goal. So, um, you know, uh, just really promising about as promising of a showing as you could want from sort of a rotation B team um, in that Miami game. You know, what more can you say? Yeah. Yes, yeah, Stroud, I thought looked great. I, I have to confess that Stroud is a is a great example of a guy that I had kind of not bothered to get my hopes up about anymore, just because like to pull back to Beza, like how I used to say Beza in my mind is a very good example of like a two guy, like an RB two guy who when everything was going great, he got integrated in the first team squad and is really a great addition to it. And we've seen a couple midfielders come up from the twos that um, you know, velo has been the star, but like kind of these other guys who integrate well and, or you get Metzger who looks pretty good, but ultimately there wasn't a spot with him. And it's just kind of hard to tell admittedly with Armis still here and, and Stroud getting signed to the first team this year, I was sort of like, all right, I don't want to get my hopes up or the, the previous owner of the number, um, eight shirt Kofi right you know like it felt like he never he never you know even got I never even got a chance to see him play because it just felt like everything was a mess I was kind of approaching Stroud that way to be honest and not getting my hopes up but this he looked he looked fantastic this game and and I got really excited seeing that and I feel like seeing these four guys Yearwood below Omir and Stroud in the midfield just popping up it part of it looked really like the most one of the more pure like four two 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 kind of like midfields that I'd seen. Like there was almost that that at times felt almost like that total football quality a little bit where different pairings of guys were popping up and pivoting the ball really ver- vertically that mm-hmm. uh, looked good. I think part of that is Miami's lack of discipline, um, to be sure. But yeah, I I loved seeing that as well. Um, and I, I like seeing Omir play a little bit more because I have to admit Omir, I'd gotten kind of a little more pessimistic about Omir too, just kind of sitting on the shelf for so long. Um, so it seemed great that he was able to get in and, and get an assist as well on, uh, the goal that's scored by mines. Um, but, uh, yeah. Those two and, keep linking up, you know? Yeah. I think mines, that's really uh, cool to see. Yeah. And I mean, mines also just had that injury bad luck too, you know, where like I, yeah. I added, we I, sure I, if he's just going to get injured all the time. Yeah, I moved on to the point with mines where, like, I, I was going to treat it as a, a pleasant surprise if he came back. Both, but he's the, he, he's even cleaned up the parts of his game that were a problem before. Yeah, the injury stuff. I mean, where he, you know, he would get the ball caught at his feet a little bit, and you yeah. know, not not be. I mean, literally. I mean, it's kind of to be expected for a 17, 18 year old, but like, you know, not be as um, willing to like run right at guys. And that's not been a problem these last few games. Yeah. With him. We also yeah, get start- like really like, as we're saying, like strong on the ball too, mm-hmm. in general, I'm um, just like muscling people off, muscling Breck Shea off. <laughs> yeah. We also get to start from Manny Egbo. Manny uh, yeah. takes the penalty, which was fun. Um, Cause 
Royer wasn't on the field, right? So uh, Velo had been ta- was taking all set pieces in lieu of Kaku, um, but it was unsure who's going to step up when Matsuidi makes that clear as day foul. I mean, I, I'm still kind of laughing about that. Where, like, what a basic, straightforward. And Matsuidi Matsuidi looked like not not bad, but just like pedestrian, just yeah. like not yeah. not the sort of player that you would like bring in just alone as like the marquee guy on your team. But that's all. Yeah. Even Shep had to admit, it. I mean, Shep and Kanji were, were, I accidentally bought a month of Fubo. So I'm just listening to straight up MSG now. So let's enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, <laughs> but Shep and Kanji clearly had like circled, uh, you know, Matuidi and Igayin and, and Pizarro's names uh, talk about. And they had started out by, you know, being like, oh, well, check out this World Cup winner. Like, it's going to be a good thing. But by the second half, Shep had to admit, like, <laughs> Matsuidi was having a real tough time. But yeah, it's the, the whole idea that we're supposed to be uh, concerned or worried about Matsuidi in isolation, did, yeah, makes this did not scan to me. And, and him making such a straightforward error there was like a very on the nose way of showing it. Yeah. Um, How dare you? He played for PSG, Britt. <laughs> I, yeah, no, no, he played even even more. Team. He played for Saint Etienne, the most the most illustrious club in French football. I'm pretty sure. That's right. Um, but I do love uh, Egbo's just putting it away, rolling it confidently into the corner, uh, and it it felt fitting to me as well that there was there's sort of the intrigue here, right, of Robles being in goal against us, um, and it it seems like it fits with. Egbo taking it. And Egbo doesn't, Egbo doesn't really know who Robles is at all, right? He's just kind of like, whatever, I'm just going to take a home yeah. and put it away. So, uh, you know, but even better yet, there's no fans there to really worry about. I mean, it was in Miami anyway, but no no celebration concerns or anything, any any drama like that. Um, but I thought Egbo looked super strong as well. He's also a guy that earned plaudits from, from Shep, which I, is sticking out to me more, more than I'm listening to them because – Shep does not necessarily start out um, like praising the team or individual guys on the team, but it, it's been a thing that's been happening recently that like Shep is falling in love with Yearwood as games go on. And that's been true for yeah. Egbo and, uh, and uh, even Jorgensen a little bit. He was kind of ragging on him a couple of games ago, but he's liking what he sees, which I think is, is indicative that's shining through that much. The proof is in the pudding. But you said something funny during the game about, um, about how like, for once like an armist tactic like gimmick tactic <laughs> yeah. against robles would work because you can't take uh goal kicks anymore yeah oh yeah wow yeah. Robles. like the strategy should have just been to force them to back pass to robles so that they can win the ball again yeah i know right i mean armist would have straight up i think said that 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 would just like was is dirty you know i don't know maybe maybe during covid cup season it's a little unnecessary but yeah robles not taking free kicks is like to me, that clearly says do need surgery um, and can sort of play without it, but but uh, is putting it off until he retires or whatever. Who is yeah? Who is their backup keeper where they can't like get a keeper who can take goal kicks? I mean, you they know? they must have. Um, I mean, they're a mess everywhere. But uh, yeah, I mean, they 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 clearly signed him knowing this, right? Like like I because like surely, yeah, he, that was already happening with us with them, and it seems to me that they're just like, look, we want a marquee MLS goalkeeper, and they would have done a physical. Um, and the, to me, they must have just decided it was worth it, right? Yeah, 
it's I'm just seeing now looking at their, who their backup keeper is that I, I didn't fully appreciate that Robles kept number 31 there and their backup keeper has number one. So <laughs> what is his deal with 31? I don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't uh, think he was 31 even in Germany. Yeah, I don't I, I guess I mean one his, yeah. I mean one wasn't taken when he came here though, because Rost was the last number one and Rost would have already been gone, right? I don't know. It's hard to remember exactly when Rost left. But um yeah, I don't know. Um so uh on in the spirit of something we were saying earlier as well, but everyone looking brighter, I have to say that one of those, and I, I tweeted about this, I think is Tim Parker, I have to say. And I say this despite mm-hmm. the fact that it's his turnover that leads to the one goal that Miami does score, which is is, is disappointing a bit and a little sloppy on our end. Um, but I have to say, since we ragged on him a bunch, both on Twitter and in this and, and on the air, um, I have to say that Parker seems to be benefiting uh, especially well from kind of this reset and getting to play a little bit more of his game of search and destroy and actually being able to like step up and anticipate passes a bit more. Um, and I think he's, he's even seeming to recover in that sense better than long, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Tim Parker, thank you for listening. Uh, please stop listening to Barstool. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you, yeah. I don't know if it's because of us, but right. It, it's always because of us, Brad. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, Sorry. Who am I to doubt? Everything's because of us. Um, but, and, and, you know, on the front, like Miami, actually their goal that they score is sort of similar. It's sort of a mirror image of our goal in a way the the first one that um or the one that cork alluded to of stroud creating that pressure up the pitch of uh kind of that quintessential final third pressing goal um that i'm trying to check my enthusiasm sure looks a lot more like the old us um but on the whole i have to say that a lot of these goals actually end up reminding me of the famous portland game in 2018 Um, Yeah, that is that is really what this I hadn't even thought of that analogy until just now. But that's really what this kind of was. I mean, you sort of you have the Ben Mines goal to really like. Yeah, uh, (laughs) really. Really. But um, and I don't I don't necessarily like say this to like dismiss this win. It's a great win. But the way that we score these three goals in extra time against some pretty poor Miami defense I think is similar in that I'm not, I'm not necessarily expecting those 15 minutes to happen every week. Um, and I, I don't think they will in 2018. We didn't need them to happen every week. We were good enough where we still won the shield. Uh, but I think it's also telling that before, you know, a couple months ago, we would have never known Miami were this poor in defense. Cause we would not have kept playing like this for so long. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So by the comparison with Portland, um, I don't mean to dismiss the result at all or to like hold it up as like the best thing ever, but really just kind of acknowledge it maybe is, is more of a credit to the guys on the squad. I think, um, you know, having a, a healthier sense of competition and, and finishing the game all the way to, to 94 minutes as it was. Cause uh, like while my, while not every team is going to be so poor in uh, defending the um break as we were towards the end of the game um it's certainly true that previously we weren't even making those kind of breaks and uh making those kind of really good runs towards the end of the game so i think uh cautiously i'm i'm sort of uh optimistic at it and it's just certainly feels good to actually put away a bad team again 
kind of speaking back to the thing from the other week where the DC and Philadelphia week or uh, where we lost to a good team and beat a really bad team. We're beating really bad teams again at the very least, which feels good. And um, we're, we're not, we're not losing or not winning just like one zero games too, yeah. which, which is, which is really refreshing. So I would take this sort of, you know, up and down, you know, a couple wins against bad teams, but scoring goals and giving guys confidence over whatever we were doing in the past. Yeah. yeah I tried to make every game into like a cup final and like bunkering in the second half. And it was just like, Jesus Christ, like not, it, it wasn't even working a lot of the time. We were like no. let, getting games snatched from us. And it was just horrible for any sense of, mm-hmm. of planning and getting an idea of who anybody in the team was. Yeah. I don't want to bring up like an X, but you know, like Chris, when he was in charge, did say like almost as though this was the philosophy that a lot of games in MLS are one by one goal. Um, yeah. but you know, that often felt more like he was trying to manifest that as the result rather than, you know, trying to put the game away ever. So right. yeah, it's, this is where we're at now and that's good. And as you are saying, Britt, I think it gives the players who come on, especially now that we have, we still have five subs, the, 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 the guys who are on the bench, more incentive to play harder. Um, I think people are fighting for kind of starting spots. I think we are seeing, um, you know, a lot of that kind of like healthy competition, not kind of a, you know, like, oh, the, the, like cutthroat type of, of competition between um, positions on on the spot. Yeah. As well as the diversity in the, the style of players we have. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, it's working backwards sort of to try to win every game by one goal a little bit. It's sort of like, you know, when you people, when consultants poll for things and say, oh, this thing is popular, let's support that position instead of being like, okay, this is what we want to do. How do we make this a winning? Like, how do we make this popular and how do we win this? Cause this is what we yeah. want to do. And it's good. It's like, it's in which to be honestly, it's, it's, I think it's even slightly generous to say that it's short-term versus long-term benefit, you know, but in its most generous version, that's what it is. And clearly we are no longer even getting the short-term benefit from that. Exactly. Um, That's kind of like what Korg was seizing on the other week about like the, the idea of playing uh, Kaku as like a super sub, you know, it's just like, what? Like, you just like totally thought yourself into a pretzel there, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, let's just bring on Messi as a super sub, right? Because like they'll he'll be even better when everyone's tired. Like what? Um, but yeah, to- totally agreed. Um, so with that, I think um, I think we should move on to like this uh, hot stove rumors, hot hot Sistine Chapel stove rumors here. Unless anyone has anything else on these games, there's been news. There, there's smoke, maybe fire, with a, uh, uh, and I have to say, once a Metro called it, some guy in uh, Germany or Austria. Um, yep, Ross, Ross had his, his ear to the ground on yep. that. Yep. Uh, with a nice little bit of Yorkshire flavor, uh, as it's some dude from Austria in South Yorkshire, none other than Barnsley, Famously known as the Brentford of the North, uh, uh, by which we mean it's instead of slightly almost fighting and getting into promotion, Barnsley is fighting and avoiding relegation. But go through the uh, mentions of Barnsley Twitter talking about the rumor that Gerhard Struber is off to 
Red Bull New York, and you see that it is apparently very widely acknowledged that this guy, Struber, has been instrumental in keeping this plucky, under-resourced Barnsley side up in the league and not getting relegated. So, Bork, I don't know, what, it, what, is, what has Once a Metro understand, understood about uh, this Struber guy? Yeah, so um, he is a uh, like really like as much. It's it's odd. It, the the I didn't even think of really about it the way you just put it, Brett. Until now, that uh, that it is kind of like an on the nose thing. That it's like Selwell's kind of Red Bull hire um, coming through. You know, the lower leagues of, of England, um, an Austrian guy coming through that prism. And uh, yeah, he is an old like Red Bull hand. He closed out his. He had a play. He had like kind of a middling playing career in Austria. Um, nothing, nothing, you know, really major. And then actually retired as a reserve player at Red Bull Salzburg, not long after the, the takeover and, uh, worked his way up in May first at part-time jobs in their Academy because he ended up working, uh, a day job. He was in, uh, selling insurance and, and software kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, you know, so just like a white collar job. And then, um, Ended up doing a couple years running an amateur team as a manager and then got brought back into the Red Bull fold at both at first as a higher academy role and then as the coach of FC Lifering, which, you know, a lot of Red Bull aficionados will know is the reserve team for Red Bull Salzburg, which, you know, is, is not your, you know, your mom's reserve team. It's you know, very, um, you know, kind of souped up operation that, you know, brings in um, some pretty highly touted prospects from around the world to get them used to European football before putting them in the grind at, uh, at you know, first team at Salzburg. So um, a pretty important role to be entrusted with. Um, that he was, you know, he did for a couple of seasons and then, um, he ended up taking a job with, uh, Wolfsburger, um, not Wolfsburg, um, Steve McLaren's club in Germany, um, Wolfsburger, um, which is a little kind of a minnow club in Austria that he, in a span of only, he was only there for a year, a uh, calendar year. Um, got them into the Europa League with a league finish, and then when in the Europa League in the group stage, um, they didn't end up qualifying for the next round, but um, they did get some impressive results. First, uh, a draw against Roma, and then a huge, you know, four nil um, blowout of Borussia Mönchengladbach. So, um, kind of got himself on the map with that as a, as a first team manager, as a senior manager, and then. Um, late last year, um, was, you know, kind of moved up the ladder very quickly again, uh, right after those Europa league results, he was hired by, um, Barnsley, um, who are American owned now. Um, and, uh, Billy Bean, um, the, uh, the money ball guy is one of their part of the ownership group and their, you know, uh, they're run by Dane Murphy, who is an ex MLS and NASL player, um, who's their, who's their technical director. And they paid a $1 million transfer fee to hire Struber from Wolfsburger, um, <laughs> late last year. So that, you know, gives you an idea of how kind of valued he is and how kind of, despite these smaller, you know, these smaller clubs that are attached to his CV, he's, you know, a pretty, 
pretty you know hot property on the European coaching scene. And uh, he's only, I think he's 43. Um, so not, you know, still very much in the youth of his coaching career. And uh, Barnsley, when they, you know, paid that fee to bring Struber in, um, were at the bottom of the championship, um, had only won a single game. And, you know, I think it only scored like 11 goals in the 20 or so games they had played so far that year. And within the you know the only six months or so that Struber had you know was in control of the team and it was still you know a pretty pretty undermanned roster by you know English second division standards he was able to get them out of the relegation zone uh by the end of the season and yeah keep them up and like you said Britt a lot of the um uh, the discourse that you saw from Barnsley fans online was that you know they you know he was very much a a kind of cherished figure and that he was, you know, they, he got results for them and was the main figure in turning the season around. And that, you know, it wasn't even like that they would be sad to let him go because they understand that he, you know, he belongs somewhere higher than, than us. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of a, an acknowledgement on their part um, to their credit. So it was the one guy um, who said, Mr. Struber, I've been to New York. It's shite and it's filled with gangs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, is he wrong? Is he wrong? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but um, you, you forgot, I think, the most important aspect. He's that he hasn't been to Harrison, has he? Random Yorkshire account 420. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, exactly. I just meant that, that he's bald. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah. Are we sure he's not Yap Stum? Yeah, exactly. He, I've gotten like I haven't seen that many photos of him, but the it looks like there could be a thing where he's kind of doing a Royer, where like he's not actually, uh, you know, fully bald, but he's just you know going for it. I don't know, man. man like, he had a chance. He had a chance to lodge himself I, in our hearts. I didn't. I didn't hold it against Kaku that he ended up being not as bald as I he kind of looked in the grainy um, <laughs> Argentine League video footage. <laughs> Um, so I'm not, uh, yeah, if, if Struber ends up being, you know, the juice, then I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold it against him. Yeah. Uh, if he, if that's what his, his, his style is, but a couple uh, of photos I've seen of him, he appears to be wearing the same outfit that both Armis and, uh, Bob Bradley were wearing in 2018 when they, yeah, kind of, so yeah, he's, he's got a fit. He gets a fit off. I, I actually tweeted this morning that he's, he's, he's the, one of the leading lights of the Greg Berhalter cosplay scene. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Which I have to say, um, I don't, I'm partial to the tracksuit. Like, you know, Carnell's, Carnell's sweatshirt was sort of doing it for me. But, that's that's what I was hoping for with Pearson was that he, he, he did that. He, he did the tracksuit pretty hard and that he was also on the, on like the puffy down vest uh-huh. uh, last, yeah. last year with Watford. Um, but looks like, yeah. Um, looks like, uh, um, Struber is more on the kind of like, um, uh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what profession you would, you would tie it to, but, um, so maybe, maybe soccer manager, European soccer manager, but yeah. Face, Facebook vice president. Right. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's kind of like peaches, like, uh, like complex managers probably. <laughs> well, um, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, the the bold powers, because I, I, is it more powerful to be, you know, someone with, uh, Royer S care and keep clean shaven bald, or is it you know like more more powerful to just you know have the full male pattern? It's definitely more powerful to have the full male pattern and like be real about it. But um, you know, I mean, I, Royer, I would feel I would I would I would feel better about this than Royer. 
But yeah, go I ahead. think Wallace Shawn has the most powerful look, in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah, okay. we're we're all we're all in his shadow, but yeah. Yeah. I'm well, I'm delighted to hear that he had a middling playing career and it's it's neither a full on like A V B situation where he's just always been a little dweeb coach. Uh and he wasn't a big thing. Because you know, I know there are exceptions. I know Clough was really good. I know Ancelotti was good. Zidane's doing okay. But I just I do believe that just the best players are, you know, slightly shit players. Or best managers slightly are slightly coaches, shit yeah. players. Yeah. You know, Jose, uh Wenger, Ferguson, I'm sure there's tons of others, right? Like uh, oddly enough, the other the other coach who's kind of uh, vaguely in the mix right now, and along with Struber, is uh, uh, Jorge Chimao of uh, Portugal, Ooh, who was also kind nice. of like who was also kind of like a middling uh, player uh, who um, he like yeah had kind of a slightly above Mourinho level playing career, but then yeah not not a good enough career that he didn't have to like start with the lowest badge and have to manager a bunch of manage a bunch of like Sunday league teams before he moved up the ladder yeah. yeah i feel like Mourinho is is at the end of it like one of the most successful professional translators of all time it uh <laughs> it sort of reminds me of like the annoying factoid that you hear that like well it's not a factoid it's technically true but like you know reagan being like the only union president which is <laughs> yeah exactly but like I, I like i prefer to think of Mourinho kind of as like a uh, professional translator who stumbled into football and was really good at it you know like bruce and lacrosse you know but yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah so uh w- what's up with the Samao guy uh that that one is uh, a little seems to be a little less of the gray smoke um around that one but he is a um like i said you know portuguese as you surely could tell from my <laughs> pronunciation just now I thought he's from um, the west midlands actually oh yeah he's yeah he's uh um he's yeah his family ran a a a steakhouse in in warwickshire but yeah. uh um but yeah he uh he like i said he worked his way up from you know the bottom of the portuguese league system like you know one of these you know guys who uh, just proved himself with a bunch of teams that were probably, you know, a bunch of like, you know, school teachers and, you know, construction workers and stuff who he, you know, got playing decent soccer and impressed enough to move his way up the ladder. And then eventually in the last few years, he got a couple of first division jobs with, you know, pretty big by Portuguese standards, uh, first division teams. He was with uh, first uh, Pacos and then he got jobs in Europa League level with Braga and then Boa Vista, um, both of them, uh, he ended up uh, getting fired um, by after a single season, as is kind of a a continental, you know, European style that you know you gotta you gotta do it. And if it's not looking good after one year, we're gonna bring someone else in. And it looks like that's what happened to him. So he ended up in Saudi Arabia um, at a job. Uh, Al Wahida is the name of the club. So. Um, but he left that job just this past year um, during COVID, um, and assuming is is back in Portugal the last you know couple months, and you know maybe maybe or maybe not uh, he's he's been on the phone with with Lord Thelwell. We don't know, but uh, um, you know uh, we shall see. We're finally getting some after a couple weeks and. What, you know, we, we know about Thelwell, you know, he's done a bunch of managerial searches, not a bunch, but, you know, three or four when he was in charge at Wolves. 
Um, and we know from some of the, the research that we've done on that and some of the information that's out there that he was very thorough and didn't rush into anything with those moves. But it sounds like a couple weeks after moving Armis out, um, it looks like he may or may not have some names kind of, you know, funneling into a short list. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it makes you wonder. I mean, he he fairly explicitly said that he's been thinking about this for a while, even before he pulled the the trigger on the previous manager, right? So, um, I don't, you know, I don't know the norms or the professional courtesy that you know if if that meant like literally not contacting anyone until he's fired, or if there's sort of back channels, but maybe some of the research at least was done. Uh, before because it does seem like like um, things are picking up here I mean the latest I've heard I forget the name of the the English journalist or guy tweeting it that um, they asked Struber about the link and mm-hmm. he pretty much clicked the default football manager option of like I've got work to focus on tomorrow for Barnsley let's yeah. get the boys out tomorrow which is like hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and then there's, there's uh, yeah, and in the in the last few hours, I mean, we're recording this on on Friday evening, but uh, there's been a little bit coming out that it seems like uh, from some reports from Europe, from from kind of Austria and England, that uh, Red Bull was kind of sore about losing him and thinks highly of him and wants to bring him back into the fold, generally speaking. And the fact that, you know, the New York job is available right now makes it kind of a slam dunk. And that it, one little you know tidbit that uh, I saw kind of before hopping on here is that um, Dietrich Matschitz himself may be making some calls and hopping on some jets to kind of make this happen. So we'll see. Yeah. Wow, I mean, I've I've seen the rumor mill being that we're going to pay two million dollars for him. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it might be a higher fee than than Barnsley had to pay to get him from Wolfsburger. So yeah, that's so funny. I mean, like when I think about it, I'm like, okay, yeah, managers have contracts that need to be bought that can be bought out, just like players. But whenever it happens, I'm always thrown for a loop. Um, and it even happens in American sports too. Yeah, well, but, the guy they, they've traded for player for coaches, traded players and draft picks for coaches. Yeah, yeah, like didn't Doc Rivers get traded for it? It's so weird. Um, but damn, I mean, it seems. Does it? Do you think it's possible that we'll have a manager before this season's even over? I admit, I had been, I'd been kind of, I'd kind of made peace with the fact that we were going to get into off season. With yeah, Carnell, but yeah. yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It will be very weird to already be up and running. I mean, I, I could sort of see the appeal if I'm putting myself in his shoes of, um, you know, if he's done, if he's getting by pretty well at a place like Barnsley and people seem to acknowledge that he has a tough hand and it doesn't seem like he's going to get a lot of help. And then a former employer comes in that's well healed and has a record of shuffling coaches around in their large organization, not only Jesse, but like, you know, they hired Nagelsmann in a year in advance and like uh, right. they um, did the whole thing with Ralph, like, you know, like basically co-coaching with Jesse, like at Leipzig, like they're very clearly, um, you know, not not stuck in convention. And like, you know, I could see a, a former employer like that coming in saying, like, we want you back to be appealing instead of maybe getting stuck at 
Barnsley and burning any yeah, like, like, that he might have. Like Red Red Bull wants him in apparently. Like Red Bull Global thinks very highly of him and has wanted him, you know, to, to keep him in the fold and get him back in the fold. And I think also, you know, both from getting the job at Barnsley and he's been linked, he's been linked to some other jobs in England as well as some jobs in the Netherlands um, and stuff like that. Where he, you'd think he was a coach that if you know Kevin Thelwell, let's say he's still at Wolves and they're still in the Championship um, rather than Premier League with with Nuno, but. Uh, um, that he's looking for a new manager, that this is a guy who he, even if he wasn't working for Red Bull, that he would be like, yo, this is a guy who I want to hire and want to, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's a hot property that, you know, you would want to get your hands on. So, yeah, I mean, it would it would be exciting if this comes to pass. We'll see. It's like a perfect storm almost. Yeah. I mean, I like the sound of it. And even if it doesn't come off, I kind of just like the, the, um process that's being that we're getting a glimpse at i mean mm-hmm. it kind of feels like what i've been saying about almost like egbo and and pendant and jensen um and how i feel like we can kind of sleep on the fact that these are just like guys that have very solid mls ish you know resumes of just like being like you know uh second division european guys with um a lot of years in front of them and and uh if we weren't um, kind of a mess, it would be easier maybe to look at that and say, oh, it's kind of a, you know, it's a decent find. It's not like a big marquee centerpiece like Kaku might be or Drew might be. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's, it shows you ever knows in the right place. I sort of feel this way, you know, at least that like if, if we're turning up these kind of stones like this and, and guys like this, um, seems promising to me it's we're not we're not just like dialing whatever the latest equivalent of robin fraser is you know um or alan Koch or whatever um so feel good about it but and this this guy would be like a press maniac right even more so yeah i mean yeah we didn't get i didn't get into that that he's yeah very much of the red bull school of uh very intense pressing and that's you know what sort of the story of his barnsley turnaround was was just um, and, you know, it's, it's something that's been proven, you know, to kind of plug in and work in a lot of scenarios with, yeah. with guys who, who leave the Red Bull, you know, pasture to go to other places. And, uh, you know, e- even if you have, I mean, there's, you know, obviously the reputation, especially in the lower leagues in England, that the players are kind of unsophisticated, that even with those, you know, that sort of personnel that you can go in there and just tell them, hey, you know, you know, make these kind of diagonal runs, just, you know, you know, have this energy and this sort of the pitch, like that can kind of get results pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, even Hosen is pretty well regarded at Southampton. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, honestly, so one thing from the last two years off to say is that is both at RBNY and just watching the global game, I, you know, I feel like it's sort of a requirement now to have a coach who's fluent in the press. You don't, they don't have to be a full on press maniac like this guy or, or Jesse or Ralph per se, but um, it, it's it's just firmly established in in the uh, you know theory of the game right now. Like looking at like we rag on Pep a lot, but Pep Pep has incorporated a good chunk of pressing into his system, and it, it's mm-hmm. not exactly how ours looks. Um, and I don't I don't think there's really any top flight clubs right now that can get away with. Uh, not having someone on on staff somewhat familiar with it, and looking at kind of the the um, failures of the RBNY in the last year and a half, um, I think maybe just like 
viewing that too casually rather than uh, something that we need to constantly be studying uh, was maybe part of the problem. I'm, you know, I'm also, I'm still kind of reminded of Ferguson uh, in the mid 2000s, recognizing he was falling behind and bringing in Carose to, to kind of like, um, you know, uh, update his, his setup. Like I, yeah. I think we were doing the opposite of that maybe in the last year and a half where it felt like our manager was saying, okay, we already know how to do that. Um, let's try to do something else. And then got lost in the details where it, it, you need someone on staff, I think, who needs to acknowledge that things are constantly always changing. Um, and, and the press right now is certainly part of that to me. So at this, this point, how, it needs to be a requirement, um, at least in part. This is how we finally get La Liga to fall. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, maybe, actually, you know, I mean, it's a good point. You know, that, that's, what, um, that's what Vidal was saying about Barcelona, wasn't it, right? That like they they just have gotten too lazy and and cocky. Stale, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's true. Um, cool. And well, he, uh, yeah, and I mean he also plays the. I mean he the the system that he does run Struber is basically a three five two, which is what we've seen the last couple games. And you know, quick plug my my once a metro article this week um, about Kevin Thelwell's books about the the three five two. So it would all line up with that. Um, and that that probably adds to some of the the thickness of of the smoke. So I yeah. think we just yeah I think we just uh, light up the white smoke now and uh, celebrate. <laughs> it's, it's in the <laughs> yes, I mean knowing us, I mean like last last time I feel like we a couple episodes ago we recorded an entire thing about like oh we don't know what the schedule will be and like in the time we were editing the schedule came out so I fully anticipate it gets. It's announced as we as we put this out. Yeah, that we we have we have signed uh, uh, Pep Guardiola. What? Dominic <laughs> Turan? Uh, wow. That's for another episode. I guess on our way out, do you want to? Um, I think we should touch on maybe what we look at maybe with this Montreal game a bit. But uh, do you want to talk more about this three five two? I know we were joking that yeah, you hit the books on Thabo's old stuff, and then the next game. Uh, they threw they threw yeah. the rest of the curveball with the 4-2-2 again yeah Carnell Carnell yeah was reading that in the coffee shop in the morning he was like <laughs> shit just like yeah threw, threw everything in the trash but because uh, um, yeah he, 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 he was shy he, he, he felt he felt he felt watched but yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but uh, um, which I sympathize with but uh, but that um <laughs> Yeah, just that admit that you know if if maybe you did read my piece on once a metro, uh, if you haven't, I, I would like you to. It'd be nice if you did. Um, that yeah, Kevin Thelwell, um, we we have seen the switch to the three five two since Carnell has kind of started training the team, and uh, that fits with Thelwell's history, um, in that he he wrote he literally wrote the book. Uh, maybe not the book. I'm sure there are other other books out there by, you know, all sorts of like, you know, Ukrainian guys from the 60s that, that Jonathan Wilson <laughs> wrote about, but um, that are, are maybe more authoritative books on the 3-5-2 formation. But Kevin Thelwell, when he was just a young coaching administrator, administrator in, in rural Wales in the 90s, he, through a few different connections, uh, found his way to writing some manuals for an American company called world-class coaching. And one of them was the 
coaching the European three, five, two, where he kind of lays out that his, you know, that that's his preferred formation and that, um, sets a team up to play the kind of football that he wants to play. And that kind of football is, you know, sort of, um, quick transition play, which lines up with Red Bull, which lines up with how Struber has set his teams up in the past. And even Simao, the other guy who I mentioned has run some kind of three, five, two action in the past. So, um, you know, it seems like kind of a long, it had wolves. Um, when, when Thelwell was in charge of wolves, they shifted to three, five, two in a lot of, um, seasons. They had a, you know, a series of managers, um, Dean Saunders, who, who was a manager at wolves wrote the forward to Thelwell's three, five, two book. And, you know, talking about how great it is. Um, and then the wolves team that fell well left this past year, um, you know, with Nuno Santo as the manager, um, was basically running a, a three, five, two, three, four, three kind of hybrid system. Um, so, um, you know, uh, definitely a guy who, it's a formation that, you know, Thelwell is, you know, kind of long-term enamored with. And you would have to imagine it's a formation that's kind of shown up in other parts of the Red Bull operation um, more mm-hmm. and more in the last couple of years, um, you know, independent of Thelwell. So I think those two combining, I think it's a very good chance that it's a formation that we're going to see kind of built around. And, you know, the main, the main position, I guess, you know, we're seeing guys like, you know, Yearwood and maybe Tete, if he gets more minutes brought in that sort of fit roles in the three, five, two. And I think the main um, kind of question mark going forward with the squad as Thelwell keeps rebuilding it is what we will do with the center backs. Um, and cause we're going to need yeah. three, if we play the formation, we're going to need three, you know, athletic technical, um, you know, active center backs and, uh, you know, that we can rely on. And we maybe don't have a full set of that right now in Thelwell's eyes. So, and that's something that we've touched on on the show here, even before Armis mm-hmm. was fired, that is something that we're going to have to see what, what's, what's, what does a Kevin Thelwell central defender look like? You know, that yeah. I think will be kind of the pivotal thing we see moving forward. I thought that the most interesting part uh, about reading your article, which was very, very well written. Um, Thank you. I, 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 I was really interested in kind of the way you talked about or, you know, quoted about how finding personnel for this system is going to be less expensive or less like you're not looking for a unicorn to fit in in a specific like right. type of winger that plays a certain way. Um, and like we were talking before, like we have aspects in the system um, and attributes to players that we can look for now um, that might not be difficult to find might be um you know like cheaper might be um you know uh easier to develop for because um i mean we've talked about this before just like having a system allows you to uh scout easier allows you to um give clear instruction um allows mm-hmm. you not to overthink stuff so i mean like i'm very excited about no, whatever we um, implement, but you know, if if the case is that like we're aligning in multiple ways from our sporting director to, or I guess head of sport to whoever the new coach will be um, on a like three five two system uh, specifically within the Red Bull like high press. Um, I know that Leipzig have recently also implemented a kind of three five two as well. So you know, it's going to be really interesting to see us put puzzle pieces together instead of just kind of like letting Signing the guy Marcus Epps and, in the re-entry draft. Oh yeah. man. I was so, I, I like, 
He's killing it apparently in USL right now. But, yeah, yeah, I'm saying he's a fine player, maybe. But yeah, I just that that hurt because I just it thought just, about yeah. how sure I was. That I was like, brilliant. We've uncovered another guy that will know how to use, and and it's all going to yeah. line. It's all coming up Red Bull. Um, and then he's playing left back in his third game. Yeah, did the Eps even ever play? <laughs> I don't know. He played like fullback in a couple games. Like, oh, yeah. All right. Well, I forgot that for the first time in months, we got to check email. We have an email. So I'm going to, uh, I'm actually going to defer Montreal conversation, I think, because I think you can probably sketch out what we said. I think we've already sort of said what we want to see in general. So we can get to these emails. Two of them are Benny questions, which uh, I take it by the fact that Benny has emailed us again. He forgives us for the fact that he emailed us in March and we didn't look and see it. Uh, and then one of them is from a listener named Tom, who's responding to uh, Cork's postmortem on kind of the um, COVID cup uh, disaster um, back in July. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read Tom's question for uh, fucking hell. I'm, I'm, it's a mess. I've said Tom instead of Tim. His name's Timothy. I'm sorry, Timothy. We're fucking up over here. Um, but we will read your email now. Um, apologies for slacking on this. So uh, Tim writes that uh, he very much enjoyed your postmortem, Cork, on uh, the problem, Chris Armis's faults in how he approached the MLS's back tournament, essentially, if I can para- paraphrase correctly, that the whole the the idea that he's approaching everything in the cup final one zero is undetrimental. Um, Timothy uh, or Tim elaborates. Uh, can I also just complain about uh, something superflu- superfluous? I hate seeing the team account do the cutesy BS aliagunness. Uh, hat tip, Tim. I had n- not encountered this word before, and I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but aliagunness. Posting, uh, I mean, perhaps we really are so desperate for new fans that we must take part in the, hey, I decided to become an MLS fan, which team should I choose reply gambit? And I know this is a necessity in 2020 and par for the course in, in the league, but like it would be nice to have a slight veneer of, I don't know, professionalism on the team accounts. Am I just jaded and finding something to be upset about? Or maybe this is just shameful elitism, but I wonder what you guys think. Best, Tim in 128. So I believe that... Racking my brain back to July 30th when, the 30th when this was sent, I do believe that there was somebody who declared from like the UK or something that they're becoming an MLS fan or they're becoming a New York MLS fan. Which team should they choose? And the team kind of engaged with it. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys have advice for Tim's question? Is he too jaded uh, or is it is he onto something? Well, uh, first, first uh, thank you for the kind words about the, the post uh timothy but um but yeah i don't know i i think uh i think it's uh, social media stuff i kind of you know it is what it is it's kind of a there's there's a there's certain things that you have to do um and that that are uh, the yeah the things that you have to do and things that 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 social media requires that that aren't necessarily going to make all fans happy at all times, you know. Um, and there's things that will 
they'll be doing one day that, you know, are not going to remotely matter the next day. And, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't get too bent out of shape out of stuff that the official social media, well, things that the official social media accounts do, as long as it's not like, you know, something that it directly impacts competitive play or something like that. Well, I mean, I guess I wanted to tie this into a broader topic and, and one of conversation we've had in general about, um, I mean, like, I don't know how much like the, the Wadman stuff uh, ties into this, but maybe it's you know, what he's like, talking about. Yeah, that's what I thought right. it was at first, honestly. Yeah, but like we've talked before about the stadium experience changing um, like noticeably in, in terms of like it becoming more of a, a spectacle or, you know, kind of like a regular um, North American sports game type of atmosphere with a, a, a host for the game. And, you know, like I would say I know what you mean about spectacle, but yeah, I would I would actually say in a weird way, it's less of a spectacle. In that right. it's like well, all the Instagram stuff rather than like event for event's sake. But yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I, I, I mean, obviously we are, um, I guess more diehard, maybe more engaged fans. Um, and, you know, I think that we really appreciate the certain type of appeal of a pure sporting environment. Um, like I, 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 like to the question of prof- like professionalism, I mean, in social media, I, I work in social media, like that is professionalism, I guess. Um, but like the, there is something about kind of like a hard nose, like we're here for the sport type of atmosphere that I think we all here respect. I mean, are, are you jaded? Are we jaded? Like I, I like said off top, like maybe we're all too jaded. We are Red Bull New York fans. Um, but you know, like I, I think it ties in a little bit. Like I, I, I appreciate the good, good post, obviously, but I think it's particularly good if it, it's just like ripping someone's soul apart, not just like being <laughs> cute about it. You know, I think I think July thirtieth was a weird time, or is a hard time, right? Like, kind of, <laughs> yeah, you know, right? Like, I guess COVID Cup had happened, but I think a lot of the team accounts had like maybe you know a couple weeks into quarantine, it seems like people had some meetings and they're like, all right, what are th- some things we could do when nothing's going on? And then we burned through those or they burned through those. So like, you know what, at a certain point I'm like, yeah, sure. All right. Like, I, th- I think for me, and, and I, I guess I sort of agree with Cork as well that I, there's some things I can just tune out and it's not a big, as big a deal. But uh, the, for me, the only real thing for like team accounts is, is just being able to have a sense of humor. Like there's another team and about yourself too. There was a team, was it San Jose the other day or Vancouver the other day? I got like rocked like six nothing or something. Yeah, I Vancouver. Think they, yeah. Like a self deprecating post or something about it, um, which I think is like fine at a certain point. And, you know, it can go a little too far, but I just think um, it being okay. And the thing that, um, yeah, maybe I'll just leave it there. I, th- I think like, I think that doing a little bit of that is fine, but I think it's also. For Tim, like totally understandable to be frustrated about that as well because it's like we hadn't seen football for months. Uh, what we did see was sort of shitty. And then like uh, the whole situation of the club at the end of July was shitty and annoying. So it's totally understandable that like if that's most of the stuff you're seeing with the club, that that would rub you the wrong way. It has for us, kind of as Peaches was saying too, like walking into the stadium and all of our jokes about like, the sports business catalog awards, you know, like some of that stuff sucks and we, we don't like it as much. 
um, for the social media account, though, I guess for I do sometimes find it easier to go in and out. And I guess it only just annoys me when sometimes um, people are like, some, uh, sometimes I guess like you see people like get really upset if people don't like posts like that teams are making, which like is fine. Like it's your, if you're a professional social media person, like sometimes you're like, I feel like it's implicit that people are going to at the team or mention the team with their frustrations. And like, they understand it's not literally the Twitter account that's doing it. So I think it's just like, as long as you can roll for roll with that and not get too pissed off at your own uh, fans that I, to me, that's, that's all good. But good question. I, I, li- I like getting a question again. I'm going to go ahead and solicit questions now as well. And if we don't get any questions, I'll pretend that I never asked. But we do like to hear if what we're saying is bullshit or not, or if there's anyone listening. So it's, what is it, Peaches? Contact at viewfrom202.com. Yes, and also so. add viewfrom202 on Twitter, obviously. Yeah, you um, can add us there if you don't have us blocked. Uh, Benny question. <laughs> so um, Benny's March 10th question they're spiritually this these are spiritually in the same lane so i'm going to uh, say them together so the march 10th question was who would you trust more to reset their work password chris matthews or chris armis peaches you know before we recorded or maybe the same you asked if maybe we talked about this maybe we did it does sound kind of familiar right we did i think it was tied to it was tied to it was tied to, it was tied to a bit that you did um, yeah, the Matthews impersonation. Yeah, yeah, but we can answer it again. I don't know. Sure, yeah. It's, uh, In light of this, Benny has asked, again, uh, whose lip-syncing and power tools-based suburban man YouTube channel would you rather watch, Chris Armis or Mike Petke? To elaborate, he only does the lip-syncing occasionally, like many middle-aged men do. As a reminder that he's aware YouTube is a young person's medium, most of his videos are demonstrating power tools or giving advice while he's driving. I would watch a YouTube video of Chris Armas uh, riding a skateboard down the highway, drinking cranberry juice, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lip syncing to uh, In Fleet Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. That's the only scenario, though, that I would watch him in. I don't know if I would watch this video, but I do think the answer here to this question is very clear to me armis would be definitely better at it because as long as armis is not coaching my soccer team i think he'd be great at it. and this, yeah. yeah i so think this actually sounds perfectly up his alley like i think like chris armis would do a great job at, at talking about power tools like here's the thing though I, I think chris armis would be better at this and i think we would enjoy this more but I think that Mike Petke might be more successful at it because there's more um, room for problematic incidents. <laughs> he would he'd do really well on like Facebook videos. I feel like the Facebook audience would really like Mike. Yeah, Mike Petke. Uh, Petke would really yeah. I mean, like I just I just you know Petke is more like comments. more likely to be in a front facing video avatar that's like in that like image that goes around it's like if you say anything bad about the police your mentions and then it's just like all a bunch of white people in like <laughs> yeah. the wraparound sunglasses <laughs> in a car yeah. like <laughs> armis though i think would have much more of the energy of townsend's the guy who has like a youtube channel about like 
18th century food and like just gets really <laughs> into it. And then like every once in a while, someone like reads in something political about his channel and like Townsend's like posts a video, like almost in tears being like, I just want to talk about 18th century food. I think, <laughs> I think that would be Armis. Like, I, I think you'd be great. And I'm not saying it's not the only thing Armis would be good at. I just think he would be very good about a fo- doing a focused YouTube channel. I think it's up his alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Armis, drop the uh, drop the channel, and I will like and subscribe. And it doesn't have to be about power tools. I don't think. Uh, I don't know what it would be about for Armis. I have to think about. It. And for I the, would watch the power tools one though. Yeah, for the password one, I think as well. If Armis didn't know how to do it um, at first, I think Armis would really diligently learn how to do it and then become like go around the office and always assure people oh if you need help resetting your password i know how to do it now (laughs) and then if 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 they patch like if they update the operating system at work it's fucked but he'll just learn how to do it again and he'll know he'll definitely know how to do it uh matthews no matthews would just say something um that would finally get him title nine out of his job. Like he didn't realize. Right. I mean, uh, I think Armis would like reassure the IT staff. It's like, Hey guys, I got this. Don't worry about it this time. Yeah, no, Armis, Armis would, Armis reads all of the IT emails. They're, he's one of the few people at the office who actually <laughs> reads the IT emails and they appreciate it for him. And then, uh, yeah. And the lip syncing is lip syncing actually is very similar to Tim's question. I might, I might skip through that part of the video, but I understand it's part of the game now. Uh, are, you, are you saying that you're just bracing for the Red Bull TikTok account? No, I did, I'm not going to watch it. But if it has to happen, whatever. Pecky, Pecky's lip syncing, though, hmm, I don't know. For me, it's very clear, though. I would If Armis wants to start a uh, Big Med-style large vegetable account, I support that. Or that would even, be a good niche, yeah. Yeah, or even a, this will be controversial for you, Cork. I'm sorry, but if he wants to go the Gerald Stratford uh, direction and post large vegetables from Oxfordshire instead of Wales, that will also be fine. Or even you know, Pengzai had his moment in the sun, and uh, you know, seems to not be doing quite so any well. But I, I support these kind of endeavors from us. I think this could be a great quarantine project uh for for him and i would watch it definitely more than Pecky's. so wow it feels good to have a benny question again please send more benny yeah i love it and as well as anyone else contacted you from two or two yeah five. we'll actually we'll actually remember to check it now because that's that's what we do now we stare at screen no longer good screen and bad screen just screen just more and more screen um Okay, we're playing Montreal on Sunday. Any thoughts about that before we sign off? Nope. Nah. Who's their right. coach? I don't know. I think it's Daniel Henry. Remember him from Applewell? Oh, Caribbean? that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, him, yeah. Start Sterling Light of uh of Cyprus football and uh, West. Him, him, and Sebastian Nakajima. Yeah, were, and Issy Nakajima for Ron. Yes, yeah. but him and Sebastian Legett are the the um, two cornerstones of my West Ham football manager save. Um, so we we actually won the Inner Toto Cup with both of them starting. So I ported, nice. I made it so the game, I modded the game so it started in 1980 instead. But carried those <laughs> two guys over. So dream, cool. Well, uh, yeah, always you can always email us to tell us your dipshits at uh, contact at viewfrom202.com. 
you can find the articles we mentioned this week uh, on onceametro.com. As a reminder, that's the breakdown of Kevin Thelwell's 352 books. Yes, books. And uh, all of that good gray smoke news about uh, Struber and Georges Simao. Until then, though, that's all for this week. It's out of here!